Welcome to the Save Your Marriage podcast, dedicated to all the men and women out there who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages. Here, we give you tools, perspectives, and insight into how to save your marriage and have a thriving marriage. This podcast is sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. And now, here's your host, Arturo Henriquez. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I just want to invite all the men and women out there to book a private, complimentary call with me. We will talk about your particular situation in private and give you lots of guidance and put you on the path to restoring and saving your marriage. Just go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call. That's C-A-L-L. Remember, this podcast is designed to help you work on saving your marriage, bringing it back to the place you want it to be. But even if you're starting fresh, if maybe you haven't gotten married yet, we've had a lot of uh, people out there listen that are premarital, meaning they're about to get married, and they're trying to find all the information about how to avoid the problems of a relationship. So we're here to talk about that. But today, you know, this applies in the midst of people trying to save their marriage. At the point where you think things might be falling apart, you think that maybe you need to really just kind of dig in there and get things going. Today is kind of a warning lesson to that. First, I want to tell you a story. And this is a story about dogs. I was at a dog park. This is a while back, and I was at a dog park, and I was watching this one person who kept trying to get their dog to come to them. It was time to leave, and the dog was having such a good time that the dog did not want to come back, right? Did not want to leave. And so this person would call after the dog, and the dog would look and run off. And so I watched the kind of anxiety grow of, you know, as the owner realized that she couldn't get control of her dog. And so she began to do something, and this is when it all began to fall apart. She began to chase the dog. Well, the dog thought this was great fun, and the dog would just run off. And I don't know if the dog just didn't want to go home, if it really was a game of chase me and I'll be chased, but the owner would go towards the dog, and the dog would just run to the back of the park. And then after a while, the owner would kind of walk back because she couldn't find the dog. And the dog would trot nearby, and then she would do it again, and the dog would take off. And I watched this over and over, and I could just tell that the owner was getting more and more anxious. And I said, hey, let's try something different. Instead of chasing the dog, why don't you just do something else? And she said, well, I'm fed up. You know what? I'm going to leave. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to go out of the fence. I said, well, okay. And so she stormed off and I said, what are you hoping for at this point? And she said, he better come to the fence. And I said, okay. And so when she walked out of the fence, what happened was that the dog did not follow. The dog wasn't interested in leaving. And so here she kind of is gone to the next step of kind of threatening to leave, kind of threatening to walk away. And the dog wasn't responding to that either. And the dog was still kind of doing the dog thing. And what it reminded me of is the fact that sometimes we can all fall into this trap. And so I called her back in. I said, hey, why don't you do something else? And she said, I don't know what else to do. I'm exasperated. I need to be out of here. I need to be picking up my kids and I can't get my dog to come home. 
And I said, why don't you just toss this ball up and down? And so she picked up a ball and she just slowly tossed it up and down. And I watched the dog, the dog watched from a distance. And then the dog got kind of curious and the dog kind of began to circle around and come close and closer and closer. And then she kind of kept playing. I said, hey, why don't you throw it to me? Well, she threw it to me and the dog got very interested because now there was something interesting not being chased. There was something else that was interesting. And so the dog kind of began to get closer and closer. And slowly, we were able to lure the dog in by doing something interesting that the dog might find alluring, the dog might find attractive. And so as she tossed it up and down this ball and tossed it to me, the dog came close enough that the dog was then willing to be captured and wasn't happy about it, but she was able to get the leash on and they went on their way. So what's the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story is that we find that in marriages, people do the same kind of thing. Now, I'm not comparing you or your spouse to a dog. I'm just saying that there are some com- you know, commonalities that we do. And this is about the process of pursuing, of chasing after each other and the dangers that happen in that. What I've noticed over time is that there really are two types of people. There are those who are the pursuers and there are those who are the distancers, right? You might call them the intrusives and the elusive. The intrusives are the pursuers. And I really use that term intrusive because that's how it can feel to the other person. And the elusive, that's the distancer. And that's how it feels to the other person as well. And so we're talking about the patterns of how it feels to the other person. You see, we all exist in a place of fear, of abandonment, and fear of intimacy. And those are balance points all of us have both within us. The fear of intimacy is that we're going to be engulfed by the relationship so much that we're going to lose ourselves. And the fear of abandonment is that we're going to lose this love that we have. And those two pieces battle with each other. They battle with each other so much that when there is this pursuing, distancing dance going on, it can trigger the fears of abandonment and the fears of intimacy in each person more and more and over and over. And it becomes kind of a spiral. So the person who has this fear of abandonment begins to chase faster and faster and becomes more and more desperate. And that desperation triggers the fear of intimacy in the other person. They say, I've got to get away. I can't be engulfed by this. I've got to have some distance. And that triggers more fear of abandonment, which causes a faster chase, which creates more of a fear of intimacy. And that creates a bigger run. And on and on and on it goes. Now, there are some relationships where you see it go back and forth. So sometimes somebody is the distancer. Sometimes somebody is the pursuer. But generally, we have a kind of proclivity. We have a natural setting where we are either more of the distancer or more of the pursuer. Now, I would lay money that right now, 85% of the people listening to this podcast, and that's a pretty good number of people, would actually fall into at least 85% would fall into the pursuer category. The reason I know this is because distancers aren't going to be on the call. Distancers aren't going to be listening to something about the relationship because They're trying to get pulled back from the relationship. Now, there are some exceptions. There are some who have a built-in desire for the commitment, but they don't know how to deal 
with the overwhelming sense of this. And so they are distancers who are still have a strong commitment to the relationship. But generally, by the time there's a problem, the people who are tuning in, who are listening, who are downloading my material, who are downloading the podcast are people who tend to be the pursuers. That's just kind of the natural rhythm. The distancer doesn't want to talk about the relationship. The distancer doesn't want to deal with the difficult things. They may want the relationship to continue. They may want the relationship to work out. And I want to make that distinguishing feature right now that it's not about who wins a relationship. It's about how people are in the midst of an anxious relationship. You see, sometimes pursuers get so tired of it that they finally give up and walk away, which often triggers the distancer to become the pursuer. What I don't want you to hear me say is this is a game to be played, though. You don't act like one or the other, but you manage yourself. You manage that place within you. That's the big thing here is this is about learning to manage by noticing what's triggering this. And let's talk about what's the core piece of the trigger for both a pursuer and a distancer in this behavior. On a good day, pursuer and distancer, when there's not this one piece of emotional anxiety, they might find a good place in between. They might find a place that is satisfying for both or that at least comes close to satisfying both. It gives enough distance for the distancer or enough closeness for the pursuer. But then there's something that happens, and that something that happens is anxiety. Now, anxiety is an entirely natural occurrence. It happens when we are under stress and we don't know what to do with it. And it's an old way of behaving where our body is getting ready for something bad to happen. And so when we start thinking all the bad things that might happen to our life, to our relationship, anxiety comes up. So what happens? Well, for a pursuer, when there is anxiety, the pursuer seeks greater togetherness, more connection, more closeness. When they're under anxiety, a distancer seeks emotional and physical space. It could be one or the other. Sometimes someone wants a distancer can be sitting right beside you on the couch, but they are so closed into themselves or so closed off to the emotional world that they might as well not be there. So it's emotional and or physical space that they're trying to create. See, pursuers value expressions. They value the expression of emotions, of feelings, of being connected, and they value it so much that they also expect it from others. The problem is distancers see the self as a self-reliant, and they like to be private. And so they think the idea of a rugged individual, that ideal that we've created in society often invades the relationship. So they feel like people should just, if you're feeling bad, just take care of it yourself. If you're needing to do something, wanting to do something, just take care of it yourself. Well, the pursuer, on the other hand, is looking for that connection. And when they expect it from other people and don't get it because the other person is more of a distancer, and let me just say this is in degrees, right? It's not like there are polar opposite. But somewhere on this scale, if you put a dot in the middle of the scale, a balance point in the middle that there is neither a distancer or a pursuer, people tend to fall a little bit away, a little bit away from that center. And so what you find is it's a scale. And so sometimes under normal circumstances, maybe the pursuer even likes a little private time too. And sometimes the distancer may like some interaction time and maybe a lot of it until there's anxiety. 
and then they pull back into their pattern. So then what happens? Well, when the intrusive feels that the distancer is wanting that space, the elusive is becoming more elusive. Then they feel rejected. And so when that happens, that triggers that fear within them. The problem is the distancer often finds it difficult to show a need or a vulnerability. They're not willing to admit to a need they have inside or even a vulnerability. They're feeling that they feel vulnerable about something, some emotional place, because they always try to cover that up. Well, what does that do? It triggers more of that feeling of rejection in the other person. And so what happens is that pursuer ups the ante. They try to connect harder and harder, and they work at it more and more. And sometimes at the end of that, they fold up. They quit because they just can't do it. And what happens is the distancer can then be labeled. They can be seen as unavailable or withholding or shutting down. And they're accused of having no emotional life, of having no feelings, of being cold and distant. All those pieces that you may be watching maybe in your own relationship. Now, what happens after that is the intrusive person, the pursuer, may see themselves as being dependent, as being demanding or nagging. And the other person can see that also. And they're like, why do I have this such needy place? Why do I have this desperation? And it may not have started as that needy, desperate place. It only has become that. And so as they begin to see themselves as that, and the other person begins to see them as being dependent and demanding and nagging, well, it creates even more distance between them. And so what happens after that is the distancer begins to manage their anxiety by looking into projects and interests and technology, you know, their, their television, their phones. They turn to the internet, they turn to the Facebook, and they turn to their photos on their computer at night or playing video games or all those other things. And they create home projects that they can work on by themselves. And slowly over time, you see the divide begin where one person is feeling so needy and desperate and the other person has all of these other pursuits to stay separate. Well, then the pursuer begins to criticize the spouse and says that they're unavailable or unable to handle emotions and that they are cold and they're distant and how dare they cut them off and something is just wrong with them and it must be back to their childhood or some other place that they're going to point to. And unfortunately, the distancer has a low tolerance for conflict, and they often give up very easily. They don't want to keep kind of bringing up all of the emotions. And so at that point, they really kind of bail on anything that begins to look like a conflict. So if it feels like a conflict is coming, the distancer will find a way of exiting. And a lot of times, you'll see them throw up their hands and say, I don't have to you know, put up with this. You're always nagging on me. You're always wanting more. I can't satisfy you. I'm out of here. And out they go. Instead of solving the core issue, the core issue being that there is an imbalance about the needs that each have that are not getting filled. I want you to hear that again, that neither one are getting their true needs filled. The pursuer is not getting the connection they want, and the distancer is not getting the space that they want. And so in the end, neither person is in balance. When the pursuer becomes anxious, there could be a very urgent and intense need to be with the spouse. At the same time, the distancer's spouse is saying, 
you know what? I'm not going to open up if you're going to push on me, if you're going to pursue me, if you're, if you're going to criticize me. I will not open up to this process. So all of this is what is really the dance of intimacy in a relationship. That's the dance that goes on between people. There's a natural place where spouse needs space, other spouse needs connection. And this little pattern can either be tied into your personality or it can be tied into the relationship between the two of you. What I mean by this is you may look at yourself and go, wow, you know what? I'm always the pursuer. I'm always the one picking up the phone and trying to get people involved in the relationship. I'm always the one trying to round everybody up. I'm always the one trying to get the family together. Or you may say, wow, you know what? Right now I am because I'm not getting this. I'm not getting what I need out of the relationship. If you happen to be the distancer, you may say, that's how I've always been. I've always liked to play alone. I've always liked to have my own space. I've always liked to process my own emotions and deal with it myself. Or you may say, wow, this is something that's happening right now because I'm feeling so pursued. A lot of times that dance of venomacy looks a lot like the tango. If you watch the tango, you'll watch each person kind of take turns pursuing the other person. It's a very dramatic dance where somebody's getting chased down in that dance, but then sometimes it turns around and suddenly they're chasing the other way. And so the other person can go into this dance of intimacy, and so it can end up being a race where one person is constantly chasing and chasing, and the faster they chase, the faster the other person runs. Or it could be a dance back and forth like the tango. Either one can happen. The problem is both patterns end up being destructive because there's a lot of place of finding the balance between you and it begins to feel very personal. You see, both of these needs are your own needs, not the other person's. The other person is not trying to deny you your own needs. They're processing their own space of need. And yet this becomes a very personal dance, a one where you take it personally and it feels hurtful. But what happens in the process is getting tangled up in the dance. You may be involved in this pursuer-distancer kind of intrusive, elusive pattern of dancing that has continued to be destructive to your relationship. And I would be willing to make a bet that is about managing you pursuing more than your partner distancing. So let's talk about that. Don't make it a game. Don't make it some haphazard way of doing things. Remember that person that she stepped out of the fence? She was threatening to go home. And if you turn that to what happens in a marriage, sometimes people make threats that they really aren't willing to go through with because pursuers don't want to leave. They don't want to give that up. They just feel like they don't know what else to do. And so they kind of make threats. And all of that does, it leaves the pattern undisturbed. In fact, if anything, it exacerbates the pattern. So don't fall into playing a game with this. Learn how to move through this. Learn how to deal with it by understanding the dance of the pursuing and the distancer and finding that balance between both spouses in the relationship. Thank you for listening. Now, I want to introduce you to the Fortified Spouse Program that has helped thousands of women and men just like you save their marriages with an 85% success rate. It is based on four fundamental pillars. One, gain the tools to reconnect with your spouse. 
Two, understand the differences between men and women so we can appreciate and be more empathetic with our spouse. Three, learn how to gain inner confidence so we are no longer codependent on our spouse. And four, deal with our insecurities and triggers so we are more emotionally in control and not as easily triggered. If you're interested in learning more about these tools to immediately stabilize the marriage and postpone and delay the divorce or separation or win your spouse back from an affair, then go to www.fortifiedspouse.com and enroll in the program. It is going to change your life. It is going to make you the best version of you, and it has the highest probability of saving your marriage. You have been listening to the Save Your Marriage podcast for men and women. For further information, visit The Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you. Thank you.